Hey friends, welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. We hope you enjoy what you're listening to, and may you find peace and grace in all the words that are before you. talking to Jason this morning about this passage, and I'm just like, it's just the weirdest thing that we believe in this. Isn't this just the weirdest thing? And he's like, but isn't childbirth in general the weirdest thing ever? That like that you can grow a human inside of you that is its own person? Like, life is the weirdest thing ever. This is not that much weirder than what we experience every single day. Yeah, exactly. I know, it's crazy. So uh, Mary was a Palestinian woman. She was very poor. She was a teenager who probably around 15 or 16 years old is when she encountered Gabriel. She was somebody who had her whole life mapped out for her. Like she knew what the expectations were in her life and how she would end up if she continued forward in the future that she was supposed to walk into. She was raised in a loving home with good parents who brought her up in the way she should go so when she's old she wouldn't depart from it like the Proverbs say to do with your children. She would go to synagogue every Sabbath. She prayed and she listened to the Torah read, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. She loved God and she believed that God loved her. And her love for God probably brought her to tears often. You know when you encounter the Spirit of God, when you experience the love that you have for Jesus, and you're just like, you find yourself weeping? That probably happened to Mary all the time. I'm sure she wrote songs about how creation would speak about the presence of God in her life. Mary was a very tender-hearted person. She, she probably always had time to listen intently to her friends' hardships or their boy problems or whatever it is teenage girls go through. She was a presence in their life that they could count on. I'm sure she would fold her friends into her arms and pray over them when they were in a place of need. Mary knew every part of her life was held by God even if she had never heard from God. 
She trusted God had good things for her in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of poverty, in the midst of living in a place that was violently occupied by a foreign superpower. She, like us, believed her future would be okay and fairly predictable because no matter what, she knew she was loved by God and that was enough for her. And Mary, like everyone else around her, like they'd all known about this promised Messiah, this promised rescuer who was going to come and set the Israelites free, the Hebrew people free from oppression, would make their life easier and better and stronger and more peaceful. They'd read stories about this Messiah. They held out hope for this Messiah, for this, 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 this person who was going to be their rescuer. And they probably all had an idea of what the rescuer would look like, probably a lot like King David or something like that. They would have this idea of a grown rescuer who was a strong man, an established, respectable, authoritative. I bet there was never a conversation in this time and age about the Messiah's mother. No one would have imagined the Messiah as a baby or as a toddler No one would have pictured the Messiah going through puberty and having his voice crack or that strong cut onion smell coming out of his pores that happens to all of us. (laughs) Mary's plans were totally interrupted when she was invited by God to house God. At this time, God had been silent for over 400 years. We looked at that a few weeks ago with Zechariah and how God interrupted Zechariah in the temple. And before that, God had been silent. God had communicated through prophets over the years, and and we have it written down in the Bible. But the last time God communicated through the prophets was Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. For over 400 years, God seemed to be silent. That is longer than our country's existence. Nothing. During those 400 years, though, we see that many of God's people continued to celebrate the festivals. They continued to read the Torah, worship in synagogue, sacrifice in the temple. They continued to pray for protection and pray for peace. And I believe that Mary was one of those who continued to seek God, even in the midst of the silence, because God is with us even in the silence. Mary was interrupted by God, and then she was invited by God. And this wasn't like a simple request, like a job transfer, or like, hey, you know, you had to move out of state or something, so get ready for that. This was not even simply birthing a baby. This was a forever life change. She would not only be providing the womb for the growth of Christ, she would be providing the structure of who he would turn out to be. We are influenced by our mothers. All of us in this room have been influenced by our mothers in good ways and in ways that we need a little bit more therapy than others, but we've all been influenced by the people who've raised us. And most children are with their mothers from birth until they leave home. I mean, can you imagine... Hearing from God that God wanted you to be his mother. 
No matter how great of a person you are or how trusting of God you are, can you imagine a request like this? Like the fear and the doubt and the uncertainty that God was choosing the right person. I mean, think about it. Like this angel, Gabriel, that we just read about, greets Mary, but the angel is a stranger next to her. She's never seen him before. And we've all seen the paintings. If I don't know, maybe you haven't, but I've seen the paintings where you see like Mary, she's always dressed in blue, and she's white. Of course she's white-skinned, because why wouldn't she be in Palestine? And she's like kind of laying down on her floor and like this, ah, and the angel's like ah, over her. And he's all like dressed in white and, and glowing. And, and you know, you know, everyone knows that this is an encounter with an angel. But if you look at scripture, the encounters that happen with angels are rarely ones where they are flying creatures in the sky. Most often they look like human beings. People don't in, in, understand that they're even encountering angels. The Bible says that we have entertained angels without even knowing it. So I wonder if Mary, who knows every single person in the town that she's from, is approached by this angel Gabriel, and she's like, whoa, 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 back up. You're a stranger. I don't know you. And he's like, no, no, no. I've got news for you. She was terrified. I doubt because he was glowing, but because she didn't know who he was. But there was something within Gabriel, something of, of a peace that he exuded, that connected with her spirit, that re- made her realize that she could trust what he had to say. God was moving tremendously through those encounters. And she says, he, says that, he says that I have come to bring you news. He had some sort of calming effect on her. So much so, so, so much clarity that, of what was going on that she was able to receive his news about her future. And for Mary to say, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled, would have been so brave because she was someone who trusted God in all things, even the most impossible things. And I'm sure she, like us, you know, couldn't see the end game of this life when God invited her to house God's uh, very self within her. She probably wasn't like, well, what does the end result look like? How will I get there? If she had walked herself through the possible future outcomes of this acceptance, she probably would have said no. The angel told her this, this peasant girl from a town where nothing good ever comes from, that she would be raising a king and she would be responsible for getting him on the throne to rule the Hebrew people forever. Can you imagine how ill-equipped Mary would have felt at that future endeavor? I bet Mary wondered if Gabriel was in the right home. Or, was the right, or if she was the right person. He said, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to become king. And the thing that is so interesting to me is that she didn't get stuck on the details of raising him right, or being the right kind of mom for a king, or what kind of expe- expectations she had of what a king would look like. What she wanted to know was not how do I get my son to become a king. She wanted to know how she would become pregnant since she had never been with a man and she was pretty sure she knew how people got pregnant. 
I love this about Mary. I love how God invited her into a known future with an unknown path on how to get there. But she simply focused on the now. She knew what the future held, Gabriel told her. She didn't know the steps on how to get there. She only knew enough for today. She knew the now, but not the not yet. And she had to trust in God enough for today with all the millions of unknowns that the many tomorrows would bring. And she was bold enough to say yes to God today and trust that God would be with her in the future. I mean, she was ill-equipped to raise a king. She wasn't trained to meet the human expectations of kingship. But it wasn't her might or her strength or her training that she needed to trust in. She knew that she would never be alone and she was not alone still. She had her doubts in herself, but she didn't have any doubts in God. She didn't know how to raise a king, but she did know how to breathe into the current moments and provide a safe and healthy and nurturing womb for a baby to grow in. And what she had in that moment was enough, and she could trust God through it. For Mary, God's leading meant looked like uh, releasing expectations. She thought that she knew what kings and kingdoms looked like. She thought that she understood what the messianic reign and rescue would look like. She probably imagined royalty and riches and protection from harm. She assumed the Messiah would arrive in some vacuum, would show up and make life better and easier. Never did she expect before that moment that she would be responsible to raise him. We all have expectations on how we assume life with God will be like. By saying yes to God, it means that we have to have flexibility in God's calling. Because God is always changing hearts and always transforming lives and always reforming our expectations. So can we trust God? Can we trust that God knows what God is doing? Can we, can we trust God in God today and then, and then also just release those expectations on how tomorrow is supposed to look like? Well, sometimes that's the hardest thing that we do. And, and Mary... Mary says in verse, or in verse 37, the angel says, For no word from God will ever fail. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I trust you, God. Let's keep reading. Luke uh, 1. Any thoughts before we go on to the next passage of Scripture? Anything coming up? My... Um... Yeah. Passage, and it talks about how radical that, that Mary is young and poor from Nazareth, this area that's sort of despised by, by Jews. It says in, in John, it's reference that they disdain Nazareth. Yep. And that, um, and this kind of connects to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians um, 1, 28, verse 29. God chose things despised by the world, mm-hmm. things counted as nothing at all. Yeah. Use them to bring nothing. What the world considers, uh, use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Mm. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of 
Yeah, that's good. Elle, what were you going to say? Oh, that this is the first time that I was brought to mind as you were talking of how this is a female that's being told something huge news, a huge task that she's going to be expected to take on. And then I was thinking about who else has been giving news about what their life would do and how it would affect the nation of Israel and how would men get it. Uh, I was thinking of Moses. Yeah. Moses was told, he was like, dude, actually, no. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you look at the history of Christ, or the history of the Bible, and you see that God is constantly working through people that are cowardly, that are ill-equipped, that are poor, that have no influence and no voice and no power. And God is like using those things that the world would say is ridiculous and using them to bring glory to God. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me, Mary's whole situation reminds me, it's one of my favorite verses in Second Chronicles uh, 16 and 9, where it says the eyes of the Lord run throughout the goodness. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, seeking the hearts that are fully committed to Mm. And not like seeking the hearts that behave or that are just perfect. Yeah. Follow every single rule, religious rule. And, you know, it's like, why did God choose Mary? You know, totally. like he, he was looking over the whole earth to find that perfect or that right person. To, yep. You know, so. Yep. That pliability of her yeah. heart, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Does somebody want to read uh, the next passage, verses 39 to 45? Oh, thanks, Martha. Uh, Luke one thirty nine to forty five. Do you want to do it? Anybody? Okay, go ahead. Oh, you're there. You want to do it? All right, Martha. Thirty nine to forty five. Yeah, Luke one. There's so many things of like blessing in this very short passage we just read. Uh, and I think oftentimes when we read these stories, we tame them down quite a bit. We tame down the story of Jesus' birth by wanting to use something like a hashtag blessed with. If you look at like hashtag blessed on social media and how blessed is used, it is often associated with a picture of like the perfect family with the perfect smiles and everybody looks amazing and there's like some sort of warm fireplace there in front of. Or it looks like something out of a Sunset Magazine picture where it's where you're just like, you're right, you are obviously blessed by that. Blessing that Elizabeth is announcing to Mary isn't something that most people would say is blessing. 
Is Mary blessed by being pregnant out of wedlock, a stain that was punishable by death? Is Mary blessed by raising a child known as Mamzer or Bastard? Is Mary blessed by having to communicate her impossible and very unbelievable situation to her fiancé, Joseph, while assuming that she would be raising her baby, this future king, alone and away from family, so not to taint their reputation. Mary is blessed in that moment, though. She knew it because she knew that God was with her. I bet she spent that week that it took her to walk to her cousin's house, about 90 miles from Nazareth, probably thinking and praying and pondering all that was happening. I bet Old Testament scriptures bombarded her heart and her mind and cemented that truth to her. I'm sure a thousand questions were reformatted into a thousand prayers of unknowns and fears and joys and concerns and hopes. But Elizabeth's affirmation of Mary's calling brought Mary the strength she needed to stand firm in God's truth. And I think that people, I think that God uses people in our lives to affirm us in our calling all the time, like Elizabeth did for Mary. Mary probably arrived at Elizabeth's door, unsure if Elizabeth would even accept her, since Elizabeth was the the wife of one of the main priests in Jerusalem. Like, this is a big deal. And the first thing Elizabeth says is, blessed are you. You're the one I want to see. You're the one I approve of. You're the one God is doing great things through. I think, you know, you can think of the encouragement that you've received as a disciple of Christ, the affirmation from other people in your family that you're in, the affirmation of the job that God has you in, the affirmation that you've received from people of the place that you live in, or even just being in Humboldt. There's a lot of people who live in Humboldt that are just like, I can't wait to get out of here. But I think that you are here for a reason. You are here because God has great plans for you in Humboldt to change Humboldt in good ways for God's glory to be seen. God has you here for a reason. I don't know what tomorrow brings. No one does. God does. No one here does. But today, for now, God has you here with a unique calling for your your, your unique state and place and purpose. God calls unlikely people all the time to do incredible things where good news is being spread through justice and compassion and truth because of who you are and what God is doing through you. And I'm sure that Mary's walk to Elizabeth included a cacophony of Holy Spirit truth swirling throughout her heart and her mind that the moment she was received by Elizabeth instead of rejected, affirmed instead of shunned, blessed instead of cursed, that truth-filled cacophony of God's abiding presence flowed out of her into a song that Mary couldn't hold back. And this song that Mary sang, we'll we'll sing it, We'll read it in a minute. We're not going to sing it, you guys. I know you all want to sing it. We're not going to sing it. (laughs) But this song that Mary sings is the first one of three different songs that Luke has in the scripture. 
So Mary sings, and then Zechariah sings later, and then Simeon sings after that. And it reminds me of like a movie full of show tunes, where you can sense someone is going to break into song any second, and you're like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. Okay, fine, go ahead and sing. You know how, where there's way too many songs in one thing, and you're just like, okay, La La Land, or Singing in the Rain. Like, you could have said it so much faster, but go ahead and sing it out, I suppose. That's how it feels like to me. <laughs> but you know what that it feels like, right? When like when like things are so amazing and overwhelming, you like have a song within you. You have to just like blurt it out. There's a reason that we join together in singing every week here. Singing is such a powerful Holy Spirit prophetic tool. And to join our voices together affirming the words that we sing, even though some of the words that we sing, you're like, oh, I don't know if I believe that. That's a weird theology. That's weird theology right there. Man, that theology is there because somebody believed it, because God gave that to somebody for that time and that place. And we can either affirm it or we can sing it out or we can say, wow, that's really shaping my heart right now. And I'm going to allow that to shape me. And joining together in song is a big deal. The longest book of the Bible is a book full of, of songs. Sometimes there's no better way to communicate how you're feeling than through a song. And Mary had a song welling up in her that she had to push out and give birth to. And it was a song of prophetic truth, a song that was declaring hope and justice and peace mixed with a little bit of confusion on why she was chosen for such an enormous undertaking. So let's read this together here. It's Luke 1, we'll read verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, or sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation To generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months until Elizabeth gave birth and then returned home. This is a song of prophetic justice. Mary didn't know how to raise a king from the world's perspective of what a king is supposed to look like. She didn't know how to raise the Messiah from that Hebrew perspective of what the Messiah should look like. But on that 90-mile walk from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea, Mary began to see that God doesn't make mistakes in who God calls. It might feel unbearable to you right now with the calling that God has placed on your life, but God has not made mistakes in who he has called. God's confidence in Mary to be the womb to hold God, to be the hands that bathed God, 
to be the heart that nurtured God, to be the voice that sang to God and corrected God and wiped noses and wiped tears. God's confidence in Mary was enough for Mary to trust in God's plans. And God has the same confidence in every one of us. God hasn't given us this purpose and given us this calling and called us to be his people with, and just say, all right, willy-nilly, go ahead, you got this. Peace out. Man, God has such confidence in who he created you to be and the purposes he has for each person in this room and in this world. Maybe this baby growing in Mary's womb didn't look like the king everyone expected, Maybe because Mary wasn't wealthy or a royal mother, everyone would have expected the Messiah to come from when the Messiah finally showed up. I think Mary began to understand God was wanting to work in the lowly places of people with little influence and little voice. God could have chosen the palaces of Caesar or the throne of Babylon or the oval in the White House or any other superpower out there. God could have chosen the top, but instead, God chose, chose places of hunger and places of humility. And within that space of hunger and humility, what we see that is, is that good news begins there. Gospel begins there. Gospel begins to transform pliable hearts and willing hands. The gospel isn't designed for the familiar and typical stories of power and violence and aggressive wealth. The gospel shows up in unlikely people in unlikely places where people are willing to say yes to God and trust that God knows what God is doing now, today, and into the future. Yeah, and that's enough for today. That's enough. Yeah. Amen. Jesus, we thank you that you are enough for today. I know in Jeremiah you say that you have plans for us, plans to prosper and a future that looks amazing and great. But Lord, I know that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and that is enough light and enough lamp for today. So Jesus, we trust in the future. We trust in what you're doing. We trust that you are moving in this world, that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. But today, Lord, may we trust in the guidance you have for us. May we trust in the calling that you have for us. May we trust in your confidence that you have in each person here. May we be the kinds of people that encourage each other, affirm each other, lift each other up as your people, as your family here in this church. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this world that in the midst of darkness that Advent has, we know that a light is dawning. May we continue to prepare you room. As we worship you today, Lord, may the songs that we sing become an anthem of truth in our lives when we don't know if we believe as strongly as we once did. May we know that you believe enough for us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. It's for your glory in your name. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Every week when we gather together, we uh, have a time of worship. We sing songs together. We, uh, we have communion. We've got bread in the back. The bread represents Christ's body broken for us.
And the juice represents his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of all sins, mistakes, anything that we have done that is not in conjunction with the Father's will for our lives. And God says, here, let's begin again today. So we take the bread, we dip it in the juice, and that is open communion. You can come back anytime. We'll sing three songs of worship. There's generosity boxes, and um, then we'll close with a blessing. Amen.